You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers all listening to the show on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and joining me is Brent Bergholm. Brent, what is going on? Hey, yeah, a lot I think is going on. Uh, I just got back literally last night as of this recording uh, from a three and a half week family road trip. And uh, excuse me. And um, we drove over 5,500 miles for those in the kilometers. That's 8,800 uh, 8,800 kilometers and um, just did a bunch on that trip. We had a printing workshop in Boise where I had, uh, what was it, 18 people I think show up. It was amazing. And then I also did one in Boise, excuse me, Denver, where I had 12 people show up and we were just, uh, we had some people bring in their printers as well. So we were a lot more efficient in the printing process. And so we just had a full day just looking at all the particulars Really, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You're looking at all those particulars for what it takes to get really cool, awesome prints from your photos. I ended up also giving uh, just a standard presentation to the Boise Club as well. So these were coordinated with uh, photography clubs. And then after that, I had a commercial shoot in Denver where I was photographing for a a corporate aircraft charter company. And uh, I was going to do more than just the planes, but actually it turned out the schedule didn't work out quite as well as I'd hoped. I only had six days in Denver and I needed to be there that one extra day so I could coordinate with the people to do headshots and whatnot. But so we just went away from that one and I just did their their aircraft and um, had a blast shooting that for sunrise uh, as as the sun is coming and the aircraft are all lit up beautifully uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, spent like four hours on the tarmac, just moving these airplanes around, getting different compositions and and different things. It was it was amazing. That's cool. And then we went on further, uh, pretty much to put the photography stuff away, and the rest was just almost solely you know family time. Awesome. And we went went to a, a homesteading conference in Missouri because we're really interested in uh, buying some property and starting a small farm and just you know doing the homesteading kind of thing. So we went to a conference there uh, that my wife is uh, involved with some people. She, you know, their YouTube channels, et cetera. Uh, Then we went on into Chicago to visit some friends. And that's actually where I grew up and spent a few days there. And then uh, really fast-tracked it back home. But we did stop off at Scotts Bluff, Nebraska for a couple of shots and then just fast-tracked it on back home. And here we are after 5,500 miles of driving and (laughs) ready to get back to work. (laughs) What? That's that's another kind of thing too. Uh, school is starting up here in a few weeks. We're on the quarter system, so we're starting at the tail end of September. And so, I am squeezing in uh, another workshop. So, uh, not next week, but the week following, starting the twenty fifth. There's actually still some some spots available. So I know it's really close, uh, but if anyone is looking for uh, six days of some awesome photography along the Oregon coast, we're heading to Bandon. We're going to be headquartered there. And we'll take two of those days to focus on printing, uh, but the rest will be just shooting and exploring. It's just going to be a fantastic time. And so look it up on my website if folks are interested in that. But I'm also diving into not only getting ready for school with a couple of uh, changes that I have for the classes that I teach. I always have those. But I'm working on a trip to India this December. I'll probably spend three or four weeks in India this December. 
Hawaii in March, Europe next summer, and I've just got I just got it all going on. It's wow. it's almost it's almost too crazy, but I think it's going to be awesome. Are you going to go to Cape Kiwanda on the Oregon coast? Uh, Cape Kiwanda, I think, was a little north of where we're okay. going to be. Um, I'm not opposed to traveling, but uh, to you know to get around or whatever. But um, no, we're going to be a little bit further south. I'm asking because I just recently the Facebook group actually Brian Pex he posted a, a photo into the face, the Facebook group uh, like a week and ago or something. Anyway, uh, it reminded me I did a trip, a family vacation in 2015 to Cape Kiwanda. And uh, there's Haystack Haystack Rock there. It's just a really awesome rock. And uh, with Brian's photo, it reminded me of that. So I went back and like revisited my edits. So that was back in 2015. And I was only about a year into kind of doing photography a lot mm, more. And, yeah. and my edits, <laughs> I, mean, I just cringed when I looked at what I had done with that rock and the edits. Because I, I, I managed to capture some some good images because I shot raw. There was just tons of room there in the exposure yeah. and dynamic range. And, and uh, the, the images I created at the time were really atrocious, but so I, I re- reviewed them with in Lightroom and, and did some editing. And so I've been sharing kind of some results from that. Um, I've actually been using it in my testing I've been doing recently too. So that was kind of fun. And awesome. I was just reminded of that with the Oregon coast. So if people want to kind of see those images, you can go check out my Instagram and, and see those. All right. Yeah, th- that's pretty far north uh, compared yeah. to where we'll be. We're going to okay. focus on Coos Bay and south uh, of that, going down into the um, Samuel H. Boardman uh, National Scenic Area, whatever the state scenic area is, what they call it, I guess. I so it's it's going to be uh, a bit of driving, but uh, yeah, we're not going to get that far north. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's get to the main topic for today: Lightroom. <laughs> Adobe made some an announcement this week, and. If you're following photography on any of the social media things, I'm sure you've seen plenty of people talking about this. But I think we're going to have a little bit different angle on it uh, towards the the second half of the show that you probably haven't heard anywhere else. And so I, I hope it's unique content and something that I hope photographers are going to benefit from. We'll see. I, I'd love to, to know about it if, if it's something that you are enjoying I'd love to have comments on the show notes or, you know, check it out on Twitter or Facebook and and let us know if, if this is something that is is helping you. I'd love to have that that feedback. Uh, but let's let's talk about what Adobe did this week. So here in October, sorry, October, August, <laughs> August 2019, uh, Adobe has updated Lightroom. They released a new version to Lightroom Classic. It's called it's version 8.4. And um, they, they've unveiled a number of new features. And we're going to kind of go through the features first, not in a whole lot of detail. And then we're going to hone in on the one big feature that most everyone's super interested about. If you want to get it from Adobe's mouth, if you want to hear about the features from them, which they've got really good write-ups. They've been doing it for a, a bit now where with every release, they have a, a pretty decent blog post. There's a link to it that will be in the show notes. You can go find that over there. Um, all right, so let's run down the new features. And Brent, I'd love, I'd like to hear about kind of your take on on how important or unimportant you think these features are as we go through them. Yeah. Uh, the first one, and we're going to spend way more time on this in the second half of the show, but <laughs> but the first one on the list is the big hitter is GPU acceleration for photo editing, and so it, it's a really big one. Like I said, the photography media has been plastered with information about this since it's been released. 
Um, but really, most of the information I have seen has just been people saying, very cool, way to go, Adobe. This looks awesome. I, I can't wait to use it. Or, uh, you know, they're just excited about it and how to, like, turn it on, but not any more information about it. It's very new still as we're recording this episode. So I don't think a lot of people have had a lot of time with it. And maybe you'll see more over time. But I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. So we're not we're going to save our discussion on this one until the, the second half. All right. Of the show. All right. Next feature, batch HDR panorama processing. So uh, Adobe added HDR and panorama, kind of automating HDR and, and panorama processing called merging in Lightroom Classic about a year ago, back in October 2018. You could select multiple photos. Like say you, you did a, a bracketed HDR shot. And uh, so you have, let's say three, you could have three, five, seven, you know, you could have a whole bunch of photos, but you have three different exposures. You want to merge them together so that you can get the the benefit of an expanded dynamic range, capturing the brightest of brights and, and more detail in the darkest of darks and, and put it together. And, you know, you could do this in Photoshop for ages now you've been able to do HDR or panorama merges, but they brought it to Lightroom about a year ago. And what you did is you just selected your your images, your multiple images that you want to merge together, whether it was bracketed shots or panorama shots that the multiple images made. And then you did a, a right click and merge and, and told uh, Lightroom to merge them. It's not super fast. In fact, I, we saw there was a post in the Facebook group this week about someone saying, hey, you want to see your computer go to its knees? Try this. <laughs> and and, uh, and so they, they had like a really big bracketed panorama the two of them together and and yeah it takes a lot of processing to go and do that and it, it's uh but it's a, a cool feature landscape photographers absolutely love it um the thing adobe was hearing though from their customers that use this feature was it's too long most photographers that do this type of photography they don't just take one set of bracketed shots <laughs> they don't just take one panorama they do multiple of them like like any of us does we take multiple shots different perspectives, different angles, different lighting, whatever it is. And they wanted, the customers were letting Adobe know that they really wanted a way to like batch merge these photos. So after hearing this for a while, they've added it in Lightroom 8.4. So if you're a landscape photographer that does HDR panorama, this feature may be something that you're going to be interested in. There are two kind of caveats or, or things you have to know to make this work. The first one is the photos have to be organized into something Lightroom refers to as stacks. And that doesn't happen all by itself. When you import photos, it doesn't put anything into stacks. Um, well, that's not true. but it, By default. <laughs> right. JPEG and RAW can kind of be auto-stacked together. But, yeah. but you, you have to put your bracketed shots or your panorama shots into a stack. And you can do it manually by selecting the, the group, one group at a time, and, saying, and, and doing command to stack them. Or if you used your camera, if your camera supports the feature of, of like auto bracketing for you, then the timestamp on your photos is a really good indicator of what photos belong together. And you can try to have Lightroom like auto stack them for you based on the timestamp. Not going to work as well for panoramas. Usually it could if you did it with that purpose in mind. If you know, I need to make sure there's like five minutes between my shots so that I can auto stack them when I get in there. But either way, you got to get them into stacks in order for this to work. The second thing is they have to all be either HDR, like bracketed shots, or 
panorama shots. You can't have like a combination of the two in there. So you can't have, you know, a few groups of bracketed shots and then a few groups of panorama shots. And you certainly can't have panorama bracketed shots <laughs> together. So the batch stuff doesn't work in either of those scenarios. They all have to be one type of thing, just bracketed shots or just panorama shots. So Brent, what do you think? What do you think about this feature? Well, I'm a little conflicted. I really do like it for just the idea of being a bit more efficient. If I know I have, you know, these different range of, I do a lot more of the panel side than yeah. the than the HDR side. So if I if I have a lot of these images that I want to be able to analyze, you know, collectively, sure, set it up and, and make it happen. That could be really efficient that way. The thing that I have a problem with in doing this when I'm and I haven't upgraded, I haven't done this, so I, I don't know from experience. So, uh, you know, maybe in the next episode I can I can look at this by that time. But when I'm doing a panorama, there's a couple of different ways. You know, there's the spherical and there's a cylindrical right, right. and uh, different ways of calculating the, the algorithm they use to calculate the panorama. And so I like to be able to s- select which one I'm using. It seems to me that if I do a batch process... Are we bypassing that? Again, right. I just don't know. Uh, if, But I, I don't want to bypass that. And then there's also that item, I'm forgetting the exact term, but it basically is, oh, they call it boundary warp. Uh, oh, right. I like to play with the boundary warp too, yep. so I can get it right where I like it as far as how it's stretching that image and how it's uh, interpreting all those edges and whatnot. So... If I could still do that and set those up individually and then hit the button and then it just goes and I can, you know, run and get a snack or something while it's working, then that's, you know, that would be fine. I just want to, I don't want to lose the opportunity to set those items individually for each individual panorama that I'm setting up. But also with the the GPU uh, being used, maybe it's going to be used for these, this type of thing too. And it can just make it faster anyway. So doing them individually might be speeding up as well. So uh, my primary concern, though, is that other item where I might be losing that customizability of how it's doing the panels. So I have not tested this specific feature yet out either. But um, I don't think you get to pick. I think it's going to be all auto on the stuff you talked about. Uh, I think it has to. It, it, so yeah. because you choose your projection and the boundary warp like after it's done a bunch of the work. To, right. to analyze the images. So I don't think, I think it's just going to auto select the thing that's going to work best for the photo. And if they would, and if they would let you go back then and, and kind of change that after the fact, then that would be fine. You know, where it does a majority of the work initially, and then you can go and change it after the fact, right. if you want to uh, manipulate a little bit more, but you know, currently we can't do that. So unless they've changed that to where we can kind of go back and revisit it, how it uh, interprets that. But Anyway, it's. I, I think it's got some promise for sure. It's just we'll we'll see what we can do with the customizability of how it's uh, how it's calculated. And then the other part of it, that, like you mentioned with the GPU, I am pretty sure, and uh, my testing I think is is backing it up. This the GPU acceleration only applies to develop module, so there's oh, no. Okay. It doesn't affect import. It doesn't affect export. It doesn't affect anything else. Any other feature function. It's just the editing of photos in yeah. develop. Yeah. That's, that's and that makes sense. It, it does because that's where we need the we need yeah. the help. I mean, it would be nice to tap into the GPU engine and combine that with CPU so that we can get import export and stuff to to go faster. Uh, that would be a really cool thing to have happen. But uh, I'm really happy that they've focused on the develop module because I'm convinced that's where 
most photographers feel most frustrated with Lightroom and how they, they feel like it's slow. I mean, yes, import, we're all anxious to get our images as we import and, and waiting for Lightroom to do the import process um, is is maddening sometimes. But I, I think it's as we're editing, that's where most of our frustration comes from. So I'm happy yeah. they're focusing there. Yeah. Okay, next feature, library module performance. And they didn't give a lot of detail on this. I haven't done any testing of this either because I've been focused on the GPU stuff. But Adobe says they've made improvements to performance and library module, specifically the folders panel. So what do you think about this one, Brent? Maybe what this means is when we drag a whole bunch of pictures from one folder to the next and we're moving them around in our hard drives and such, and we have had many reports where people are just like, I lost right. a third of my pictures or whatever. Maybe this is what they mean with that, where they're addressing whatever issue that was and we're not losing those photos anymore. But like you said, they didn't talk hardly anything about this. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know any more details than that. I wish they gave a little bit more information. This was almost an ignored thing. In fact, I haven't seen it covered in almost any of the media either, but it's in their blog post. They did mention it, but that's almost literally word for word what they had. Yeah. In there. So, uh, so, so it's not, there's not much information. I can't tell you. I am, I, I agree. I, I hope it means that they've made it faster for moving photos around from photo to, from folder to folder. Uh, or at least refreshing the folder stack. Um, but I still recommend, <laughs> until I know more about it, until I've gained more confidence in this, I still recommend people move their photos outside of Lightroom and then go tell Lightroom where you moved them because there's been right. problems with it. I think we even saw, I, if I remember right, there was a, a Facebook group post this week yep. about someone who said they got their, their, they did a move inside of the library module in Lightroom and it didn't, it never finished. It like got, you know, partway done. They had to end up killing Lightroom and now they don't know where their photos are exactly. <laughs> what's, what's the status of it? Uh, it's just, it's safer to do it outside until, until there's a lot more evidence that they've actually addressed problems with this. I would not risk my photos by doing something in the library module with them. Okay. Next feature is collection color labels. So are you a couple, do you use color labels, Brent? I do actually use color labels uh, on a photo by photo basis. This idea of collection color labels is interesting to me. I'm not sure how I would use this for my collections, but I do use them for uh, my photos because, um, well, right now I only... relatively I, I try to submit still to one agent uh-huh. uh, that represents my images but i um in the past this is many years ago now i have uh actively submitted to three different agencies and so i was able to uh leave all the images in my normal uh, categorization and all that stuff but i would use the color labels to identify which image which went to which agency uh-huh. And so that worked out really well. But yeah, for collection color labels, I don't know. I might find a use for it. Okay, so let me explain the feature. I do use color labels too on individual photos, like you said. I use it differently because... So I the rating systems, you, you have kind of three choices. You have a numeric rating, a star rating, and a color rating. And um, on, the, on individual photos, not on collections, but on individual photos. And so I use the star rating as my culling process. And I don't want to touch that for anything else. Right. Um, Oh, and you have pick flags too. I guess there's four. Yeah, pick, pick and reject. Pick and reject flags. 
So, um, so I, I use the star rating just for culling, and I, I make sure it's only for that, no other thing. Then there's uh, the star ratings, and I kind of use that to mark the, my portfolio pieces. And again, I don't want to mix the two, but I, so I use the star rating for that, and and uh, and then I I use the um, the colors for marking something like if I'm working with a client. The ones that the client liked best. Yeah, yeah. I, I involve my clients in the calling process too. So anyway, I I make that helps me distinguish between things, and I don't mix and match stuff too much, and and that's good. But um, with with collections, and are you a, a user of collections, Brent? Yeah, I use collections. I'm not like a mega user of collections. Uh, the way I s- categorize my images, I separate them out into folders based on location. So I'm not a mega user of collections, but for the the ones that I do use, absolutely, I uh, use okay. them fairly, somewhat frequently anyway. So I, I think after I've interacted with photographers a lot on Facebook and and email, my general sense is most photographers do not use collections. They, yeah, I think that's yeah, about right. <laughs> almost, almost like don't even know they're there kind of thing most of the way. Which is kind of sad to me because I use them a ton. I love collections. It really helps me to organize things. And part of it I was forced into learning because that was how you synchronize photos to the cloud um, with Lightroom Classic. And it still is today. If you want to have anything synced to the cloud and you still do have some free cloud storage, even with the changes they made with the, the new version of Lightroom, you still can do some cloud syncing with Lightroom Classic. Then the only way to get that there was was through collections. So that made me learn it because I wanted to explore that feature and use that feature. And um, so I, I just be, it's become part of my workflow to create collections, especially as I work with clients. I create a collection for every client that I work with, and that helps organizationally too. Like I can keep my folder structure exactly the same between all of my folders and what I'm doing with them, and then collections I can use differently from that folder structure. In right. how I'm organizing my photos, and I I could do like a couple of different shoots, or and put it all in one collection, stuff like that. Anyway, collections are really great, and if you are a photographer that's never used collections in Lightroom, you should go check it out and see how it might be something you can use for organization management of your photos in Lightroom. It's a powerful powerful feature. What they've added in eight point four is the ability to color label a collection or a smart collection, even a collection set. And the interesting thing that I've read other photographers saying they, they could use it for, this wasn't really, I don't think, suggested by Adobe themselves, but there's this been this thought of you could use it to kind of indicate a status of where you're at on editing that collection. So if you used it to import and you created a collection as you import, then your first status, you could do like a red color for like you haven't culled the collection yet you need to go through and do the culling process once that's done you could change the collection color to like yellow to indicate that's finished but you still need to do edits and then you could change it to green for saying yep totally done with that collection i'm through the editing process there and and be able to help kind of track the status of where all these collections are at kind of an interesting idea i don't know that i'm gonna incorporate that but i may play around with it and see if it helps me what do you think, Brent? Yeah, that's the, the problem I have with collections because I, I use them pri- most primarily for separating images out from all my various shoots. So like when I have a, a shoot coming in, as I do my initial edit, I'm like, yeah, that one should go to my agent. So I'll there hit the go. keyboard shortcut sure. to dump it in the collection. 
And then when I rename it and I edit it and I do all sorts of things and I shift it around uh, from one folder to the other, that collection is untouched as far as it still has that in the collection. And so I can do all sorts of good things with it. And then I will go through the collection itself and spend my time editing those images in the collection. My biggest problem is remembering which one I ended on Uh because if I get halfway through the collection – uh, and then I have to go to dinner or I have to go to sleep or whatever the case is. And I pick it up three days later. It's like, now, which one was I on? And I <laughs> right. I always am forgetting which one I left it on. And then right. sometimes I'll not realize, oh, I, I reordered how I'm viewing the images. And so now they're all out of order from uh-huh. when I was editing it on. So um, I really need to focus on that kind of part. And then once I think I get that figured out more smoothly, whether I start using you know the stars or whatever, uh, to to mark those, then uh, using these color labels can probably be incorporated. But I, I have a feeling I'm going to solve that other nut, crack that other nut first, and then uh-huh. I'll use colored labels. Here well, maybe for the maybe the next feature we'll we'll talk about uh, film strip indexing numbers. Then maybe that yeah, will yeah. help you. All right. So so just to explain this feature, the, what they've done in eight point four is <coughs> in the library module grid view. If you went there and did the grid view, it's it's for, I think, since the beginning of Lightroom, they've had an index number there. It's just a, a number for whatever view you've got in the library. So if you're looking at a folder, then they're just like, you know, the first photo and however you got them sorted, whatever shows up as first as a little number one there and just numbers them in order all the way down. If you change the sort order, then the number one photo changes to whatever your sort order has been. Or if you're looking at a collection, same thing, whatever the sort order, if it's by date or you by file name or manual sort order, they just sequentially numbered them. It's not been a feature I've really cared a whole lot about myself, um, but it can be helpful. Like you said, in the editing process, if you're going between a couple of different photos and they're not like right next to each other, you could manually sort them so they are, but you could also just kind of use the index number to be able to quickly figure out which two you're going yeah. between and, and correlate them. Or like you said, Brent, if maybe if you're editing photos, you could kind of be like, okay, I've, I ended on number 14 <laughs> today, right, write it down right. on a piece of paper. I'm on number 14 and and then be able to pick up where you left off. That was not there in the develop module. So in the film strip down at the bottom, you didn't have any of those numbers. You would have had to switch back, which is not hard. You can just hit the G key in Lightroom. That's the keyboard shortcut that you should absolutely learn. And then it will go to the library module, show you the grid view, and and you could note it down the number. So they've made it like, you know, one step less. If if that number is helpful to you or part of your workflow, it's now in the film strip view of the develop module. So yeah, that that might be something that's helpful is you could note down that number now. I can totally see that being just beautiful. I just have to not shift how I'm right. sorting the image, <laughs> right. which I can probably do that. Yeah. So, yeah. From, from like edit session to edit session, if you're just leaving yeah. off, you're not going to go change the sort order between, you know, the time that you're not in Lightroom anymore. So yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. Yeah. And and I always have, you know, right here, I've got at least seven different sheets of paper where I've taken <laughs> notes. So right. I always have something here to take a note like that. So that would be fantastic. Right. It would be cool if Lightroom had a way to create a, like a status indicator of this is the photo I was on. That would be kind of neat. I'd, yeah. I'd never thought about that, but that that's kind of a cool feature. And I also want multiple keyboard shortcuts. So as I'm going through my initial calling or editing, whatever, 
I can dump them automatically into different collections. Because uh-huh. right yep. now we only have one, one keyboard shortcut to go to whichever collection you've targeted. I would love multiples. Yeah. Yep. I'm anyway. With you. The last one that they outlined, there's bug fixes and there's new lenses supported and stuff like that too, but we're not going to go through any of that in, in this episode. Uh, the last one that they made a bigger deal about in the blog post was exporting PNG file formats. So if you're not familiar, PNGs are, this stands for Portable Network Graphics, and it's it's kind of a, it's a lossless export of image data. And besides being lossless, whereas JPEGs is lossy, meaning you're, you're kind of throwing away when you create a JPEG, it goes through a mathematical algorithm and it throws away some data to, and, and makes much smaller file sizes, but it throws away some data. PNGs also make somewhat smaller file sizes, but they don't throw away any data. It's, it's all still there and gets used. But the, the bigger thing about PNG files and why this is a, a bigger deal is that PNG files support uh, transparency, background transparency in the image. You can define areas that are transparent. Now, the thing that is kind of confusing to me on this one is Lightroom has zero support for creating transparency in images. (laughs) You you can't do that. (laughs) It doesn't allow for that. So the only use case for this would be something like you round trip through Photoshop to change the image so that some portion of it usually like a background of, of is is transparent becomes transparent when you come back into Lightroom Lightroom actually didn't even do a great job of showing that as having a transparent background I haven't tried it yet to see but I, I'm assuming that's going to be there it'll at least show the image kind of how it's supposed to look but now you can export that image from Lightroom with as a PNG and get the transparent parts the parts that you made transparent in Photoshop show as transparent when you export why you would do that through Lightroom, I have no idea. <laughs> Can you think right. of a use case, Brent? If you're in Photoshop and you make a transparent background, aren't you just going to export it there? <laughs> yeah, it, I'm totally going to do it. PNG is such a special, to, to where, the way I use PNG anyway, it's such a special use case. Uh, I would pretty much only use it for a website that I need that transparency. And the beauty of that transparency is you have 256 levels of transparency as well. So you can have a nice gradiating out to the background color, whatever it is that you're doing. Lightroom just doesn't have that capability. Photoshop does. But also with PNG, you can actually limit how many actual colors are represented, just like you can with a GIF as well. But uh, I could limit it to 16 colors. I could limit it to 38 colors if I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, so you can do that if you're in Photoshop and you know the, the buttons to hit to, to make that happen. And that can really crunch down your file size. Uh, but since you might be doing a logo or something like that, it doesn't matter. You have the colors that are important. So to have the support in Lightroom, I'm just wondering who's asking for PNG <laughs> out of Lightroom and what use they have because, well, I'm just interested to know. I am too. You know, maybe, maybe I'm missing out on something. Agreed. But yeah. That's exactly right. my thought. As I, as I saw this feature, I was like, wait, why would you do this? And it made me try. I was, I was thinking like, well, I can't even think why. Because if I'm in Photoshop to make something transparent, I'm just going to export from Photoshop. I'm not, I, I wouldn't come back yeah. into Lightroom so that I can export through Lightroom. I don't, I don't understand. No. So I, I don't know. It, on any of these features, some of them are seem less important to me. The the film strip index numbers, nah, I, <laughs> not a feature I've been caring about. Collection labels, color labels, yeah, okay. I, maybe it'll be cool eventually if I start using it. 
I'm not really impressed right now. I'm going to be grateful for any performance improvements we get, like library sure. module. But, you know, those features are, nah, I, okay. I, Adobe says they've been hearing from customers saying, we need this, we need this. I'm not sure exactly what's so great about a lot of these features, but I'd love to hear from our audience. So when I post this uh, podcast episode on the Facebook group, I'd love to have comments about how any of these things are something that would be helpful to you in your use case, kind of broaden my world and, and help me learn what it is that I'm missing out on. That would be awesome. Or show notes, if you want to go comment there. We don't get many comments on the show notes. So love to have more engagement there too. If you're not a Facebook user, there's your way to be able to kind of contribute and talk about the show. Go over to the show notes. There's comments that are available and enabled there. And, uh, and you can have some discussion there too. So, all right, Brent. GPU acceleration. So I saw, um, I posted the blog post that Adobe put out. That actually, that ended up being kind of interesting because for the first time I've ever seen it, there was like a leak of the blog post <laughs> a full 24 hours before it was supposed to go out. And it wasn't like any insider stuff. This was, I saw it on Twitter. And so huh. I reposted it, you know, to all of our stuff on, on our Facebook group. And I reposted it to my Twitter. And it turned out that that was actually 24 hours before Adobe intended to let the world know that this was coming. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was funny to see that happen. Um, but anyway, GPU acceleration. I guess somebody, even inside Adobe, was so excited about this that they couldn't wait to get the word out that this was coming. That's right. So they they've upgraded GPU acceleration. Now they added some GPU acceleration a bit ago to Lightroom. Um, I was going to try to go look it up exactly when it was added, but it was probably at least a year, if not more, that they did this. At, when they did it, there wasn't a ton of detail about it, and they still, even in in this 8.4 release, did not give us a lot of detail on exactly what features are impacted with the GPU acceleration. But prior to this version, the thing that the message that has been very clear for a while now was it was solely to support high resolution monitors. It was if you have a 4K or 5K monitor that you are using to do photo editing, then enabling GPU acceleration in preferences in Lightroom Classic was had a, a good chance of improving your editing experience. It did not, they never claimed back then that it did anything more than that. It didn't it make the, the sliders faster. It didn't make adjustment brushes faster, gradient, radio filters. None of the features in the develop module were going to be leveraging the GPU as the slider or feature itself. And that's what's changed in this release. Now, but before we go into that, let's talk about the feature that was there before this a little bit more. So, with if you had a 4K or larger screen, then it was it was kind of 50-50 based on you know the tiny sample size of information that I have. It was roughly about that. About it might help you. You had like half a half a shot at it. It was worth trying it. It was worth going and enabling the feature if you had a 4K or 5K monitor. It was worth turning it on and trying, seeing how things went, and if it felt slower then turn it back off and don't use it. But if you had less, if you had smaller resolution screens, like I use a 2K monitor, um, if you had something less than that, it it almost never made sense to, to enable it. 
In fact, for me, I've done some pretty serious testing of this. It made it significantly worse to enable it, like really, really worse. By the sliders, the testing, I, I've done some recent testing to reaffirm this because I, I, I had the old feature to turn on and off. And um, the sliders and adjustment, everything in develop module, it went from using roughly between 60 and 75% of the CPU to 100% pegging the Ooh. CPU. Every single feature I use, it just would peg it. Now, this isn't normal usage. This was me really banging hard on the controls and, and checking out what happened. But that's all. If, if all I did was change, enable that GPU acceleration, everything got way slower. And it, it's because it wasn't really trying to, to have GPU involved in the math that the sliders and adjustment brushes and everything is doing on your pixels. It was only trying, it was like a, an intermediate thing between Lightroom and your display to try to accelerate the painting of the display. That's all the GPU acceleration did prior to this version. And my testing was on a 2K or, or smaller screen, it was just made things worse to, to put that intermediary in there to painting the screen. And if you had a bigger display, then you had a better chance and, and a good discrete graphics card that, that was supported. Then it had a chance roughly 50-50 based on you know the, the small sample sizes that I have on, on photographers who've tried it out and, and told me how it went, then that it would help. All right. So that's prior to this release. Now, what about the the new release and how how is this going? This is what I've not seen a lot of people mentioning anything about. They're saying, hey, this feature's there. It's, that's so cool. I can't wait. Uh, but does it actually do anything? And so this is where it's tough. This is what is really hard to do. Testing this kind of stuff in the develop module is not easy. Um, I talked a couple of weeks ago on this episode, on this podcast about my new Lightroom hardware testing project that I've started. And the the really hard thing about the develop module is it's really kind of just a feeling for the most part. When you go in there, the develop module, and you're using sliders, everyone asks, well, does it feel faster or slower? And it's right, feel. Right. <laughs> it's not like, well, can we show how it's faster or slower? And I've looked into, before I started to, to do my own Lightware, Lightroom hardware testing project here. I was look. I looked a little bit into like some automated tools and to to help with this and make it so that it's more like repeatable and way more scientific for for getting results and having solid controls and in you know, experiments to test things and and uh, there may be some stuff out there. Uh, I think this would fall in line with like gaming and how do they test games, video games. Because you have a similar problem. It's it's a very thick client, local running on your computer, very graphical. How do you have an automated tool interact with graphics like that? And uh, so there may be platforms out there, but they're probably way <laughs> too expensive for someone like me to be able to invest in to help with this. Uh, maybe there's there's going to end up being some kind of you know labs or something that had this. And Adobe probably has has some kind of tooling that they're using to try to, to get some meaningful testing results because I can't imagine they're setting out a bunch of testers and saying, okay, tell me how it feels. <laughs> Does it feel faster? Does it right. feel slower? <laughs> it's just not fair. 
So the only I, I talked about this on the episode. I'm not going to go into it a lot of detail here, but the the way I've decided to try to get a little bit better than how does it feel is I go through 51 different features in the develop module and I abuse the feature. <laughs> I use it in a way no photographer ever ever would. On the sliders, I rock the slider back and forth almost as fast as I can do it. It it actually isn't helpful to do as fast as I can do it. Um, none of the sliders are fast enough that, that as fast as I can do it is helpful. So I go pretty fast. I'm rocking that slider back and forth for one full minute and I watch what the hardware utilization is. For adjustment brush, I'm painting as almost as fast as I can and watching it and rocking the sliders with the adjustment brushes and so on. Anyway, that's that's in a nutshell what I'm doing. Gives me a better indicator than just how does it feel on and I have some numbers that I'm gathering um, to do this testing. And so I started the Lightroom hardware testing project a couple of weeks back and uh, started gathering some data and then Lightroom made a release <laughs> or Adobe yeah. made a release. And so I've kind of had to you know, restart <laughs> my testing and, uh, and see what I can get out of it. I've already spent, since the release... I've already spent about 20 hours. Like I'm oh. every spare second I have because I'm just I want to get this information out there to people. I want to be able to provide that data so that people can can understand what is going on here. Um, but I, I'm not ready. I'm I'm only about halfway through what I want to test. So I'm not really ready to talk specifics yet about GPU acceleration in 8.4 and what does it do with the Lightroom hardware testing project. But I am going to do that on a photo taco episode coming up soon. So if you are interested in this information, you're interested to know what this means to you and, and what you should expect, then you need to make sure you're subscribed to photo taco. So that when it comes out, I, I intended to release one a few days ago to talk about kind of some findings that I had on the testing I did prior to the release. But with the release, I decided, all right, I'm going to go through some more testing and, and then I'll, I'll put together that podcast episode. So Check that out. Make sure you're subscribed. The question I can kind of address a little bit. Let's talk about does it really work? Does the GPU processing really work this time? And I, I know if you're like me, you feel like burned <laughs> from Adobe before. They've had a feature in Lightroom for probably I think more than a year where it said GPU enhancement. And yet for a huge portion of photographers that were trying to, to speed things up, that, that most likely made things worse. And so, uh, you know, it's so much. So my recommendation was just unless you are using 4K or 5K, you might want to try it then. But otherwise, don't turn it on. And um, so now the question is, does it work? So here's here's what I'll tell you. I can already tell you that at least there is no longer the downside. Like I mentioned, prior to 8.4, if you turn on acceleration, GPU acceleration, it it pegged the CPU as I went through and like rocked these sliders and painted as fast as I could and so on. I'd get so much that it would like thermal throttle. Like the the CPU was working so hard, the fans would turn on, everything was going full blast, and it would get to a point where the the CPU processing speed had to lower because it was getting too hot, and uh, and so it was a a really massive negative. I could not turn it on. My experience, my editing experience in the develop module was far, far better if I had it off than on with a smaller than 4K display. With 8.4, when you turn that on, 
it no longer does that. It's it's pretty much even, and in some cases, in some sliders, and I'll go through this in more detail, it's less CPU when it's enabled. So yes, it is working like more like you'd expect more like we thought it should with the initial release of of acceleration. And it, it's showing improvement. Now, will, does it mean that your experience is going to feel better as you use it? I've already heard from a few photographers who are so amped up because they're saying, oh my gosh, this finally makes Lightroom fast for me. This is so great. And I don't know their specific hardware setup. I don't know what computer they're using. I don't know the situation exactly. But um, And that's why I'm not going to tell you any more than that in this episode because I've got to test some... I, I'm doing some structured testing here. I'm, I'm setting controls and making sure not to change things between so I can see the actual impact of stuff. And I'm going to, I'm testing between Mac and PC. I'm testing with and without nice. discrete graphics. I'm testing with and without image previews and different sizes of images. And, you know, there's, there's a whole ton of stuff where I have to spend about 90 minutes per test run to get through these 51 features, make notes about all the hardware utilization before I change one of those control variables and move on to the next test. So it takes time. It takes a lot of time to do this. And I, I promise I'm going to share more information. What I'll tell you right now is I, for the most part, I don't expect you to think, wow, this is a game changer. I can't believe how fast Lightroom is now. It's probably, it, it won't be the negative that it was before for lots of photographers, um, unless your video card is something that's really old and, and doesn't doesn't work. And there's a link I'll make sure is in the show notes for unsupport or sorry, for the supported video cards. The list is not long. So there's a good chance, especially for PC users, that your video card, if, if it's old, is not supported and this this won't help you. Uh, it just won't even engage. You won't have GPU acceleration enabled. And the Lightroom, Adobe seems to have done a decent job of having kind of an auto enabling of or or disabling of this. You you still do have a switch you have to turn on to have it try to do GPU acceleration. But by default, when you flip that, when you check that check box, box in the preferences, then uh, it looks at your hardware and it says, oh, nope, you you don't, I can't use GPU with your computer. You don't have the graphics processing that we need. Or it'll say, there's varying levels from uh, basic to full acceleration that'll be there. So, so that's good. Um, I, I think they've done so evidence so far is they've done a good job uh, with that auto detection too. So that it'll, it'll figure out whether it should be on or not for you. So that's good. So I know it's not as much information as everyone was hoping to have, but at least I can tell you it, it won't be the negative that it used to be. And this is probably something you should go try. You should go, no matter what size of screen you've got, as long as you've got a video card that it supports, it's worth trying, you know, clicking the checkbox just to see what Lightroom tells you about it. If you don't know enough, there's a lot of photographers who have no idea what kind of graphics processing you're in their computer. Go check the box, see what Lightroom says. See if it says, yep, you've, you're good to go. You have full acceleration or even basic acceleration. You know, if it says it even supports that, then go try it and do your own like little testing. Do Do some playing around with the sliders, not paying attention to what the, the slider you know, the display is going on, but bring up like your activity monitor on Mac or the task manager on Windows and watch the CPU, watch the, the memory, watch the resources there just to kind of get an idea for your specific computer and what you've got 
how what's the impact of turning it on or off and and uh you know if you want to you can even help me with <laughs> the lightroom hard, hardware testing project i've had a number of people say that they want to help in doing some testing and, and go through this kind of thing so I'm i'm working on kind of getting some instructions together on what it is to make it so it's an apples to like as if I had done it kind of comparison. I, there's a little spreadsheet, Google Docs spreadsheet I can share with you and uh, and give you some information. I'm not quite ready to release, to let that out just yet. But all right. So, so Brand, yeah. I, I know you posted that you were super excited because you have a brand new MacBook Pro where yeah. you, you opted to have the, I, did you maximize the graphics? Is that what you did? Uh, yeah, I did. So I, I've got the 2019 MacBook Pro with the um, 32 gigs of RAM. It's a 2.3 gigahertz Intel Core i9. So it's got eight cores. And um, I only did the one terabyte hard drive, uh, internal hard drive storage, but I went with, I decided to go with the Radeon Pro Vega 20 with four gigs. Uh And so I don't, I'm trying to find the list of supported uh, hardware uh, as you're talking and I'm not seeing an exact list that says this one, this one, this one uh, just yet. But anyway, uh, as long as this one is supported, you know, I'm going to be really happy. I upgraded that GPU, I guess, because uh, as I'm looking for a new camera, that kind of a thing, whether I'm going to go monster megapixels or keep it in the 20 to 30 range, I don't know yet. But uh, if I go monster megapixels, you know, this would certainly be a, an amazing help. And the fact that, uh, you know, you'd mentioned it doesn't cause it to thermally throttle uh, your current setup. Uh, my goodness, you know, that would just be really amazing yeah. for a machine like this because I'm even just in normal, uh, quote unquote, normal editing uh, especially when I do video, but when I'm even in Lightroom, sometimes I'll just hear that fan kick on and it'll have to start whizzing about because it's just doing so much processing. Right. Uh, this this could be a huge benefit potentially. And I would say, you know, when you get that spreadsheet figured out, you know, if, as long as it's, you know, something like it's, you know, 10 different parameters, you know, that we can test or something like that to have a, a sample from others that are submitting or, or whatever you want to do it, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to yeah, contribute sure. my two cents worth. One thing that would be interesting, though, you might want to supply the files that we're working on, though, so you Agreed. can have uh, some some consistency between the actual files that are that are being processed. Well, it, I actually want that to be one of the variables we try. So it's totally okay. fine with me if you know they have different hardware and they're using raw images from a different type of of camera, uh, so that we can see kind of you know those sorts of things that you're right. I probably need a control so that they can do it with the same set. And then, you know, that's the, the other difference that they can try if they're willing to do two tests. It does take, I mean, so to make this work, you've got to do the slider for a minute because it changes over that time. You, you, and, and I watch kind of, I want to get average numbers over a minute. And then, um, the, you really need to give it a, about a minute to cool down again because <laughs> some of these okay. sliders, they raise the... I, I have found, as I have been doing this, even with GPU acceleration now, there are still some sliders that are heavier than others. Yeah. And they still thermally throttle. If you use it for a full okay. minute, it still thermally throttles because... And, and the evidence really is that slider in particular doesn't leverage GPU very well. And so, um, so I, and I'll go through some more details on which sliders because that's going to be super helpful to workflows. I, I already have 
I, I was surprised. There's one slider. I'm not going to tell you which one it is yet because I got I to gotta make sure it's consistent across multiple hardware fronts before I, I tell you. But it looks like there is one slider that is a so heavy, you just don't want to touch it till the end. You just you want to hmm. leave it alone because it impacts. Not only does it thermally throttle while you're using that slider, it makes it so that all the other sliders, all the adjustment brushes, all the radio filters are slower and hmm. take more CPU now with that slider even plus one like it doesn't have to be onto 100 if it if you have it on at all it's it's a massive impact so i'm not gonna say until i can confirm it through more testing i'm not gonna share it maybe it'll end up being like no with this specific configuration i had that was the case but right you know with another thing it wasn't but um so i don't i don't want to bad mouth the slider until it's got (laughs) i've got more evidence but um It's super, super interesting to me, and it's going to affect, or I hope, the reason I want to do this, I want to be able to compare. It actually kind of turns out nice that 8.4 came out because I have a way to kind of compare before and after. I have testing numbers I was just going to kind of say that. You got 20 hours into it. It's not lost. You're going to be able to tell us. Yeah, okay, yeah. On, on these items, this is how much it has improved. That's right. And and down to like specific features within the develop module, I'm going to be able to tell you how much GPU is helping or hurting or if, if it matters or not. And that's going to influence then my ability to be able to give good advice on what hardware and a computer people should buy. It's going to enable me to tell you how future releases of Lightroom compare and uh, yeah, it's, it maybe offer really good advice on workflow changes. Like I said, this it's possible that this one slider you need to avoid using until the end so that everything else can be way faster while you're using you're developing your image and then just add this one piece in at the very end. So uh, so it, I, it's really exciting to me. I nerd out over this stuff anyway, though. So I, I hope that people find the information interesting and and uh, it, helpful that they like it. You can let us know in the show notes, you know, comment on the show notes or in the Facebook group. You can let, let us know if uh, you find it helpful or not, or if we just need to like move on and <laughs> not talk about this <laughs> stuff. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick, just you, you mentioned the video graphics memory that you got. Yeah. The evidence I have so far, again, not through my testing. So we'll see if it changes as I try different things. It's not using a ton of video memory. It's using the mm. processing cores to you to do to help with the sliders and the adjustment brushes and everything, but it's un, way under like even one gig mm. of video memory that it's using on 2K. I would I I actually invested in a 4K monitor just to help with this Lightroom hardware testing project. So I'm going to be connecting things up. I'm gathering data on the 2K right now display and then i'm going to put the 4k in and kind of redo so that's another control <laughs> variable that yeah. i have to change and see it, see what the impact is there I, I my anticipation is it's going to use more video memory on 4k and 5k displays but i'm guessing it won't even come close to four four gig or th- probably even three gig I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be uh under two gig that it will use so the the amount of video memory is probably not a key factor in the GPU acceleration that Lightroom is doing today. But we'll see. I, I have testing to do, so I can't say that definitively yet. Only halfway through <laughs> or and, less. And I've got a, a monitor up at the school. It's a 2K, whatever that is. Was it 1440 on the vertical? Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. uh, but it's 34 inches wide, so it's an ultra wide. Uh-huh. And so it might be interesting to see what the results sure. come out on a sure. monitor like that too. 
Yeah. It, so with the 51 feet, it, it's roughly, I don't know, close to 90 minutes <laughs> to run yeah. through a single iteration <laughs> of the test, which is why it takes so long. That, that's why this. I say, give me 10 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I could. It, now that I have, so I, when I started it, I had just identified all the features I cared about testing. Now yeah. that I've gone through it, I can tell you that there's a, this group tests out to be almost exactly the same. So you only need to test one of them. Sure. This sure. group, you know, okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, there's, I can narrow it a bit and, and make it so that the testing time can be reduced. So that is, yeah, I've actually kind of started doing that already just uh, in, it, for the sake of time that I, I was like, cool. okay, these are consistently testing exactly the same. So I'm only going to test one of those. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this really nerdy geek out over Lightroom 8.4. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you. Let's go to the doodads. Uh, Brent, what's your doodad of the week? So my doodad is actually a service. It's not an item. It is uh, a, a rental house for, for renting gear that you want to test out. Uh, you know, listeners certainly understand a few weeks ago, I went through a process of trying to uh, move over to the Fuji. And while this, the shooting experience was just delightful, um, I'm still working with processing those images. So I'm going to come back at it as, you know, maybe Lightroom 8.4 does a better job. I don't know. Uh, still look at other things as well. I really should have rented that camera rather than just diving all in and buying it. Uh, so uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Lens Rentals. I have used them in the past. That was before I started my own lens rental company. Uh, and then subsequently, four years later, closed it. But anywho, uh, I'm looking to potentially rent a Micro Four Thirds. Uh, I have a workshop I mentioned coming up on the Oregon coast. And I'm thinking of getting a Micro Four Thirds to shoot during that workshop because I'm still interested in that smaller format uh, experience and seeing what happens with it. Um, so I'm going to, I might just try it out. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but lens rentals, there's also others like um, borrow lenses and a few others that are out there. Uh, but I only have experience with lens rentals and they have a great website. And um, so, yeah, rent the gear if you're not quite sure anyway. So perfect. All right. My doodad of the week is something that we, I don't know why it's suddenly become a big thing in our Facebook group, but there have been multiple people who have posted and said, how do I make it so that I can see thumbnails from my raw images in Windows? So, um, and it's been exactly the same answer for all of them. So I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, my dude out of the week is a free tool. I'll call it that you can get it's from Microsoft. It's called Microsoft raw image extension for windows. It's for windows 10 and you have to be on the most current release of windows 10. It's very restrictive. I'm not sure why it is, but it is very restrictive. You have to be running windows 10 in the most current release, but then it's, it's free. You have to go get it through the Microsoft store it's still free, but you will, like, if you don't have an account with Microsoft, you're going to have to go create one and, and do that. Um, but then the end result is for a huge portion of raw files from cameras, you now see thumbnails. It's not nearly as good as the previous tool I used to recommend, but that tool has been out of support. Like the developer isn't, hasn't worked on it for a long, long time. So I can't recommend it anymore because it's been dead and dormant for too long. And so this one is going to have to do, if you want to see raw file thumbnails in File Explorer in Windows, then go grab this extension and it should enable that. For most, there's, I think there's still some that aren't supported, but, and of course, as a new camera comes out, it's probably, it would probably need to be updated. But, uh, but there's, there you go. If you're a Windows user, 
that's a tool make sure you have installed. All right, let's remind everyone that Master Photography Podcast is the home for the show. Go check that out so you can get to the show notes in particular. Facebook group is Master Photography Podcast. We'll remind everyone, since we haven't talked about it yet in this episode, you do have to answer the questions to get into the group. So if you're listening to the podcast, you go to ask to join the group and you don't answer those questions, you're not going to get in. We want to make sure people are listening to the show. You have to name a host that so Jeff or Brent will work. And then we will we know that you're a listener at that point and we'll let you in. I still turn away probably at least half. <laughs> oh, and, and I do too. You yeah. know, we're we're all all of us are admins on this, and I see them. And I'll if it's like beyond a couple hours, I'm just like they've had their chance. That's right. I have to, decli- right. I have to decline it. And I've even had to decline. Like some people will will try to pull in another person. They'll say, "Hey, you should come join this group." And I get I try to give them when I you can tell when that's the case. And I've tried to yeah. give them a little bit of time to answer the question. But if they don't, I just say, "Well, sorry, you'll you'll have to ask to join later." So we're trying to do our best to keep it clean. And we've had to even through admin, like remove some people too, because they are being spammy and or or uh, really belligerent. I guess we want to have a really positive community. And when people bring some negativity uh, consistently, then that's just not someone we want in the group. So we we get, a, get rid of them. Uh, Instagram account for the show's Master Photography Podcast. There'll be a link in the show notes. Hasn't been terribly active because I haven't posted much there. But <laughs> what I'd really love to see is have you tag us on your photos. If you'd like us to see your photos, I do check that somewhat. But um, my, I thought I would like release an image with every episode podcast, uh, every podcast episode. Sorry, and it's just taking too much time, and it doesn't really help much with uh, with getting the word out. But we we need you listeners to help us with that. So. We'd love to have you share the show and, and subscribe. You can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com, my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. You're going to want to make sure you subscribe to that if you want more information from the Lightroom hardware testing project that I'm running. And uh, you can contact the show. Uh, or sorry, Brent, where can people find you? Yeah, my website is just my name, brentbergherm.com. And then I just use that for all my socials as well. Whether it's Instagram, YouTube, you might have to add on photography there. So Brent Berger and photography. Uh, I have a couple of groups on Facebook uh, that, you know, whether it's uh, for workshops or the Latitude, of course, uh, Facebook group is there. Uh, no, it's just brentbergherm.com oh. for my website. Okay. But you would search photography oh, if gotcha. you're elsewhere like YouTube or something like that. Okay. Um, and then uh, latitudephotographypodcast.com. That's uh, the show notes and the home for uh, my personal podcast where we talk all about uh, travel and landscape photography. And the last several interviews that I've had really have done a fantastic job, I think, of diving into the creative process and just wrapping your mind around being creative or being a creative, if you want to call it that. So give that a listen if you haven't yet. It's uh, I've had some really awesome people coming on the show. And uh, coming forward, I'm going to talk about uh, way more detail on my trip out east and uh, what the future holds uh, for some few things. Uh, and uh, I just got my first print back from an online print lab. So I'm starting a series also that I will talk about a lot here on the Master Photography Podcast, uh, where we're going to use online print labs and 
trying to get the, the best results, uh, how we prep the files and get the best results for our images using a variety of online print labs I'm going to be looking at. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that too. That's just one more thing to add to my list that I've already talked about this episode. So Perfect. And I, while you were talking, I went and looked up. It's not a positive list on the graphics cards. I, I thought it was. It's the negative list. It's the black list of, ah, okay. of cards that are supported. And your card is not on. It, really, it's anything 2014 or after is is supported. Nice. And so they on, on Windows, it's by driver version because there's just way too many graphics cards to for them to create the list of the blacklist. But on Mac OS, they have a distinct list of, let's see, it's like, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 video cards that are for sure not supported. If you have that ah. video card, you won't be able to use it. So I just found it myself. She's like, yeah. yes, perfect. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you all again in another seven days. 